Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Thank you for standing by. This is the conference operator. Welcome to the Rogers Communications, Inc. fourth quarter 2021 results conference call. As a reminder, all participants are in listen-only mode and the conference is being recorded. Following the presentation, we'll conduct a question and answer session. To join the question queue, you may press star then one on your telephone keypad. Should you need assistance during the conference call, you may signal an operator by pressing star and zero. I would now like to turn the conference over to Paul Carpino, Vice President of Investor Relations with Rogers Communications. Please go ahead. Thanks, Ariel. Uh, good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us. Today I'm here with our President and Chief Executive Officer, Tony Staffieri, our Interim Chief Financial Officer, Paulina Molnar, and George Fernandez, Chief Technology and Information Officer. Today's discussion will include estimates and other forward-looking information, which our actual results could differ. Please review the cautionary language in today's earnings report and in our 2020 annual report regarding the various factors, assumptions, and risks that could cause our actual results to differ. With that, let me turn it over to Tony to begin. Thank you, Paul, and good morning, everyone. I'm pleased to join you today in my new role as CEO of Rogers. It's a privilege and an honor to serve the Rogers board and our shareholders, especially at such an important time for our company. We're embarking on a year that will see us come together with Shaw to bring lasting benefits to Canadians and that will see us execute with an intense focus in each of our businesses, supported by increased investments in our networks and customer experience. Today, I'll take you through some highlights of our fourth quarter results. I will also share details on my priorities for this year and provide commentary on our 20, 2022 full-year outlook. Then Paulina Molnar, our interim CFO, will provide a more detailed review of the quarter. Starting then with our fourth quarter, our results demonstrate stable execution during a very busy and competitive period. Our wireless business continues to lead our recovery, delivering further improvements in net new customers, improved growth in both service revenue and ARPU, and importantly, improved customer retention levels, as seen in our churn metric. Wireless postpaid net additions were 130,000, up 14% from the levels seen last year, and postpaid churn improved four basis points. Wireless service revenue growth was solid, and we saw good flow through to profitability on this growth, with strong gains in adjusted EBITDA and a strong recovery in blended ARPU. In our cable business, our results were stable, despite the ongoing impacts of the pandemic, but we're not satisfied with the performance in this area. That's why we've made changes to improve momentum and drive increased revenue and profitability in our cable business, even prior to our integration with Shaw. Our newly created home and business division will allow us to focus on better leveraging the exceptional quality of our network and Ignite product family while enabling a best-in-class experience for our customers. We can and will do better in this segment, 
and by improving performance now, our organization will be able to better capitalize on the broader national opportunities that the Shaw transaction will provide. Moving from beyond the fourth quarter and into 2022, our focus will be on three core priorities. Our first priority is to successfully close the Shaw transaction and deliver the synergies we have previously announced and the many benefits it will bring to Canadians, in particular the rollout of 5G and connecting underserved regions of our country. Digital infrastructure in the form of 5G and broadband are vital to Canada's success and prosperity. Yet despite its importance, there are still too many consumers and businesses that do not have the connectivity they need. That is why, just in the last week, we announced the extension of 5G into eight new communities in eastern Ontario. We also announced a significant infrastructure investment that will improve connectivity along Highway 4 in British Columbia, the vital artery connecting the communities of Tofino, Euclulet, and Port Alberni to the eastern part of Vancouver Island. And there are more to come. While we have made real progress towards bridging the digital divide, the challenge of delivering networks across Canada is significant, and the arrival of 5G brings us to a defining moment in our nation's history. This is where the combined Rogers and Shaw will play a key role. Together, we'll accelerate our investment in wireless and wireline networks, offer consumers and businesses next-generation services, and help close the connectivity gap between urban and rural communities faster than either of us could do alone. The combination will also create a true competitor to Canada's only other national network, creating choice for business, government, and consumers. Teams from both Rogers and Shaw have been working to ensure the regulators have the information they need to fully assess the significant benefits that the combined company will bring to businesses, consumers, and the Canadian economy. We're allowed to do so by the regulatory review process. We have also been working together on integration plans, which will allow the combined company to hit the ground running following approval. As we get closer to a final decision by regulators, we will keep all our stakeholders as up-to-date as possible on our progress. Our second priority is to drive better execution across our entire business. Our performance has lagged our peers over the past few years. We know we can do better, so we will continue to make the necessary changes to improve our performance, provide exceptional service to our customers, and build long-term shareholder value. We have the networks, services, and a talented team. With a renewed focus on execution, I know we can achieve our full potential as a business. The third priority comes back to the importance of networks. Rogers has delivered world-class award-winning networks for decades, and we are committed to building on that legacy. We are increasing investment in our network to capitalize on market growth, and 5G opportunities and to address the need for better digital infrastructure across Canada. In addition, fixed wireless and expansion of our cable footprint are key parts of our plan to drive growth in our cable business in 2022 and beyond. Rogers was the first company in Canada to launch 5G two years ago, and the building blocks we've put in place over the past two years with universities, industry groups, and enterprise customers 
are starting to set up Canadian businesses to succeed in today's digitally enabled world. Our Kirkland Lake Gold announcement earlier this week is a good example of the opportunities brought to life with 5G. Kirkland Lake Gold is a Canadian gold company with a mine called Detour Lake. It's an important mine for Canada's economy. In fact, it's the second largest gold mine in Canada. And it's remote, 300 kilometers north of Timmins, Ontario, not the kind of place you might think of rolling out 5G so soon. Yet, by working with Rogers, Detour Lake Mine has become the first of its kind in Canada to be fully connected over a 5G wireless private network, providing enhanced coverage, end-to-end reliability, full redundancy, and a low-latency network across its 80-square-kilometer operation. In cable, our Ignite platform continues to deliver industry-leading performance across our entire footprint. We are expanding our GPON-based fiber to to the premises network in strategic areas and continue to modernize our HFC technology across our cable footprint, which offers 1.5 gigabits of internet speed in many areas today and will offer faster speeds as new customer premise technology evolves. We also continue to evolve our DOCSIS 3.1 platform to DOCSIS 4.0, which will provide us with an an efficient and economical path to deliver multi-gigabit speeds to millions of homes and businesses across a national footprint. Furthermore, by working closely with our strategic technology partner, Comcast, we benefit from its scale and advanced technical roadmap, which helps reinforce our network leadership and deliver a premium customer experience. Moving beyond our priorities, as you read in our press release this morning, we have reintroduced full-year guidance for 2022. This reflects an acceleration of revenue growth, adjusted EBITDA, and free cash flow growth, as well as increased investment in our networks. Our guidance also reflects the anticipated benefits from changes we are making towards improving our performance in key areas. Note that we are providing our guidance without giving effect to the acquisition of Shaw, the associated financing, or any other associated transactions or expenses. Total service revenue growth is anticipated to be in the 4 to 6% range in 2022, as all three of our major businesses continue to emerge from the pandemic, as well as improving revenue fundamentals in each of these businesses. We expect our wireless growth to be fueled by a continually expanding population base in a country with comparatively low penetration rates, combined with continued growth in usage of our services on a per-customer basis, including more data usage and more travel-related roaming services. Our cable business should start to see benefits from our footprint expansion plans, the extension of fixed wireless access to rural communities, and the improvements we're making in our go-to-market strategy to improve performance in this segment. Finally, our 2022 outlook includes the anticipated returns of fans at the Rogers Center for Jays Games, which we anticipate will allow media to deliver positive adjusted EBITDA this year. For consolidated adjusted EBITDA, we anticipate growth in the range of 6 to 8%, benefiting from the growth and recovery initiatives I just highlighted, as well as a renewed focus on efficiency and cost management activities in 2022 which should come in even prior to the close of our Shaw transaction. For our CapEx investment in 2022, 
we anticipate our spending to be in the range of $2.8 to $3 billion. Increases in our capital spend compared to last year will be directed to network investments and as well, our allocation of capital within our total CapEx envelope will have more allocated to network. Maintaining our advantage in cable and expanding our cable footprint as well as the continued expansion of our 5G network. Finally, despite the increased spending in CapEx, we anticipate free cash flow to grow to a range of $1.8 to $2 billion, up from $1.7 billion generated in 2021. Overall, our guidance reflects the confidence we have in executing improvements in each of our businesses. In closing, this is an important moment in the evolution of Rogers. We have the right priorities for 2022, close Shaw, execute better, and invest where it matters. And we have an incredible team that is committed to executing on our go-forward priorities. Momentum is building, as you can see in our results and our outlook. We have what it takes, and I'm very excited for what we are going to accomplish. Let me now turn the call over to Paulina to share more details about the quarter. Paulina, over to you. Thank you, Tony, and good morning, everyone. Our Q4 results reflect continued improvements across our businesses during the ongoing COVID environment, and we met or exceeded the financial expectations we provided during our Q3 call in October. In wireless, we delivered postpaid net customer additions of 130,000, or a 14% increase from one year ago. The net additions included high-quality mobile phones of 141,000, driven by solid execution and the continued reopening of the economy for most of the quarter. Starting in Q1 of 2022, we will be enhancing our wireless postpaid net additions definition to reflect mobile phones only similar to our peers. Correspondingly, blended phone ARPU will reflect phones only as well, but we will continue to provide the split between postpaid and prepaid phones. Moving to churn. Despite the higher promotional activities that are characteristic of Q4, we delivered a churn rate of 1.15%, a four basis point improvement from one year ago. Wireless service revenue growth was strong, up 6% year-over-year, and exceeded our previously provided 5% outlook. Blended ARPU of $51.47 also continued to recover, up 3% compared to Q4 last year. The sequential and year-over-year service revenue and ARPU improvements reflect the increase in roaming revenue as well as more customers on higher data tier plans. While roaming was ahead of our previous outlook, it has not fully recovered as travel remains muted. Roaming revenue was approximately 78% of pre-pandemic levels seen in Q4 of 2019. Finally, wireless adjusted EBITDA was up 5% despite an active promotional environment, and adjusted EBITDA service margin remained a strong 63% in Q4. In our cable business, our financial results remained stable. Total revenue and adjusted EBITDA were both flat year over year, and cable adjusted EBITDA margins continued at a solid 51%. This was relatively unchanged from one year ago. Finally, capital intensity of 23% and cash margins remained at a healthy 27% in Q4. 
On a product basis, we continue to see growth in our Internet and Ignite TV subscriber base, including 21,000 retail broadband subscribers within our overall net Internet additions. Ignite TV also grew by 56,000 this quarter, bringing the subscriber base up to approximately 800,000. This total reflects a 45% increase or an additional 244,000 subscribers from one year ago. Moving to our media business, revenue grew 26% as sports broadcast advertising continues to recover. Adjusted EBITDA was slightly better than we previously guided for Q4 at negative 26 million. The year-over-year change in revenue and adjusted EBITDA is notably skewed by the timing of pro sports season schedules and broadcasting rights fees in 2021 versus 2020. In Q4 of this year, professional sports leagues resumed their full regular season schedules, whereas leagues last year were operating on compressed and adjusted schedules. At a consolidated level, total revenue for the fourth quarter was up 6%, and adjusted EBITDA was down 4%. The decline was primarily driven by the $108 million year-over-year difference in our media results. During the quarter, we incurred restructuring, acquisition, and other costs of $101 million, of which $62 million is associated with the integration of Shaw transaction, including the related bridge financing costs. Capital expenditures in Q4 were $846 million, or 29% higher than last year. This was higher than previously guided as our teams proactively secured more network equipment in the tight supply environment to support our 5G and market expansion plans in 2022. For the full year of 2021, our CapEx was approximately $2.8 billion, or 21% higher than 2020, reflecting accelerated investments in our networks and a resumption to a more historical, normal annual capital intensity of around 19%. Cash income taxes were $25 million in Q4 and in line with our previously provided outlook. As previously discussed in Q3, the majority of our cash taxes were paid in the first three quarters of 2021. Free cash flow was $468 million, down 18% as a result of the higher capital expenditures. As of December 31st, we had over $4.2 billion of available liquidity. This includes 0.7 in cash and cash equivalents and a combined $3.5 billion available under our bank credit facilities and our receivable securitization program. During Q4, we executed a highly successful Canadian offering of $2 billion of subordinated notes due in 2081 and redeemable at par after five years. The net proceeds were $1.98 billion which were used to fund a portion of the 3,500 MHz Spectrum license auctioned earlier this year. At the end of the year, leverage was 3.4 times of adjusted EBITDA, reflecting payment for Spectrum licenses. Finally, our weighted average cost of borrowing was 3.95%, and our weighted average term to maturity was 11.6 years. Let me now turn to a few outlook comments. While we we have resumed the issuance of full-year guidance, we will provide some transparency on the outlook for Q1. 
In wireless, on a year-over-year -year basis, we believe service revenue and adjusted EBITDA will continue at 6% improvement. Wireless margin should be similar at about 63% as we continue to focus on efficiencies and blended ARPU growth should be in the low single digits. However, it is important to note that roaming revenue will continue to be influenced by the number of Canadians choosing to travel abroad while COVID cases remain elevated. In cable, we should see year-over-year -year modest improvements in both revenue and adjusted EBITDA. Lastly, in our sports and media business, revenue will be stable year-over-year -year and adjusted EBITDA is expected to be negative as traditionally in Q1, the rights-free expenses are higher relative to the broadcast revenue, which normalizes over the year. Finally, on cash taxes and free cash flow, we expect our cash taxes to be approximately $140 million, down from Q1 of 2021. Recall last year, cash taxes were elevated due to timing of tax payments associated with customers moving towards installment plans for their handsets. We anticipate free cash flow in Q1 to be up compared to last year, reflecting higher adjusted EBITDA and lower taxes, offset somewhat by the higher CapEx spend. Overall, we're very pleased with our fourth quarter performance, and the first quarter outlook shows we are well positioned to execute towards our full year guidance. With our elevated commitment to better execution across all parts of the company, Combined with the completion of the Shaw transaction later this year, I'm encouraged with our prospects in 2022. Let me now turn this back to the operator to commence with Q&A. Thank you. We will now begin the question and answer session. To join the question queue, you may press star then 1 on your telephone keypad. You will hear a tone acknowledging your request. If you are using a speakerphone, please pick up your handset before pressing any keys. To withdraw your question, please press star, then two. We will pause for a moment as callers join the queue. Our first question comes from Drew McReynolds of RBC. Please go ahead. Yes, thanks very much. Uh, good morning. Um, just a couple for me out of the gate here. Uh, Sony, uh, thank you for the uh, just general commentary around the, the Shaw transaction. Is there any specificity that you can provide in terms of timing of uh, the, the various uh, regulatory approvals. Uh, and then uh, just secondly, uh, on the ARPU assumption uh, for 2022, uh, can you drill down a little bit um, in terms of what's embedded in the outlook with respect to uh, roaming uh, recovery? Uh, and uh, with that comment on uh, just underlying um, uh, growth uh, or decline or trends in ARPU, excluding uh, the roaming piece. Thank you, Drew, for the question. In terms of the regulatory process, uh, as you would expect, our teams are fully engaged with the various bodies to uh, work through um, various data requests uh, and discussions of um, the facts relating to our application. There's not a lot I can disclose or share with you about that. However, in terms of timing, uh, we continue to be confident that the closing is going to happen at some point in Q2, uh, as is provided for in our uh, in our agreement. Uh, 
it's um, probably all I could say in terms of the process and timing, Drew. And then on your question relating to roaming, uh, I'll let Paulina walk you through um, what was included in 2021 and our expectations for 2022 that's in our guidance. Thanks, Drew. Um, in terms of the ARPU, um, we're continuing to assume that there will be some improvement in the roaming. As I said, we exited the year at 78%, um, so we will, um, you know, see some further improvement into next year, hoping in the, you know, 80% range as an average and, uh, you know, hopefully exiting better than that. But uh, we're a little bit cautious still about just how uh, COVID will impact, and uh, but we're hopeful that that will help. And then with the rest of the ARPU, um, you know, as I said, we do see um, the uh, data tier plans increasing, and so there'll be some improvement there as we continue to add the high-quality phone uh, um, customers. Okay, super. Thanks for, for that. And then just one last uh, quick one, uh, just a question uh, I've gotten recently, just in terms of the inflationary environment overall out there, uh, just the ability for, for Rogers to, to manage uh, through that inflationary environment, just talk to that stand that'd be great thank you thanks Drew. I can speak to that certainly um, we see that um, playing through in uh, various costs throughout our business uh, but in particular with respect to some of the equipment uh, that we look to but I wouldn't say and that's captured in our outlook in terms of spend the bigger issues have clearly been around supply chain um, on handsets as well as, uh, in particular, our network equipment. And as Paulina talked about, um, team did a really good job of uh, trying to secure that, procure that um, uh, earlier rather than waiting to help us with our uh, expansion and network investment plans in 2022. So pleased with the way that's playing out. Um, but I would say on balance, um, they're reflected in the cost structure uh, outlook that we have. And we intend to deliver net benefits inclusive of what we see now as inflationary pressures. Great. Thank you very much. Thanks, Drew. Next question, Ariel. Our next question comes from Vince Valentini of TD Securities. Please go ahead. Thanks very much. Um, two things I was hoping to clarify on the uh, guidance and then maybe one slightly bigger picture question. I'll throw them all at you. Uh, in terms of the CapEx guidance of 2.8 to $3 billion, are, are you assuming any of these rural uh, contract wins with, with government subsidies? I think there's a bunch of announcements coming. Is that already reflected, or is that expected to be incremental if and when you win any of those projects? Second one would be just on media. I mean, you, you say you expected positive EBITDA, uh, Tony, but... I mean, there's obviously been a, a bit of a roller coaster ride the past couple of years, from 140 million in 2019 down to negative 127 million uh, last year. I assume you're not expecting it anywhere back close to 140 million. You're expecting some sort of small positive, if you can give any more granular outlook on that, because it's tough for us to to predict. Um, and then. Uh, the bigger picture questions you mentioned on cable execution and uh, getting some of the scale benefits. Uh, I'm wondering if you're, you're thinking through your synergy plans uh, on the deal of if, if some of those synergies are maybe things of using best practices and things that Shaw was doing on the cable side to make your own operations uh, better and, and more efficient. Are you getting some learnings there that you may be able to start to implement uh, even before the deal closes? Is that what you're hinting at? 
Yeah, Vince, so why don't I start with, uh, we'll work backwards on your question in terms of our cable execution. Um, you can bet that to the extent we're allowed to um, uh, as a result of the regulatory process, um, engage with Shaw on what we can know from their practices. And as we work through the integration, we're coming up with what I would call the best of both worlds. Uh, there's some things uh, Rogers does well, uh, and there are many things that Shaw does well uh, in the cable business. Uh, and we're looking at everything from sales execution to um, everything to uh, collections as you think about the whole whole chain. And so as we go through those plans, uh, we're thinking about um, what our best practices, uh, and of course, paying attention to what we see in other benchmarks um, in our peers, uh, predominantly in the U.S., frankly. And so um, you can be sure that uh, we're looking at that. And as you know, we've talked about a billion dollars of synergies, and we continue to be very focused on that. And the bigger question for us is one of timing. Um, you know, the sooner the better, uh, as far as we're concerned, and, and you all, obviously. And so. Uh, that's what we're focused on. In the media side, uh, to answer your question, um, absolutely our intent uh, longer term is to not only get to you know the number uh, circa that you quoted where we were, but beyond that as we grow that business. Our media uh, assets are centered around uh, sports, and clearly that is and will continue to be a growing business, and we'll focus on monetizing that. And, you know, with... Uh, um, various changes we've been making there. We're fairly confident about the trajectory of that. Um, the comments relating to this year, 2022, really reflect the continued uncertainty around the pandemic. And as I said in my comments, we're um, assuming that we're going to have good attendance, be able to have good attendance at the Jays games. And so that's a material revenue amount uh, as you look at the media business. And so um, you know, that's going to have a bit of an impact in terms of, uh, and maybe a lot of an impact, uh, depending on uh, how the pandemic plays out. And so that cautionary language is really around that uncertainty, uh, not so much uh, any uncertainty around the quality of the asset uh, and our ability to execute there. And then finally, on guidance, I'll let Paulina provide some color around uh, CapEx. So in the CapEx um, that we provided the $2.8 billion to $3 billion, it um, does include the programs that we've anticipated um, that you asked about in terms of the government and the subsidies that we would get with net against that. Excellent. Thank you. Right. Thanks, Vince. Uh, next question, Ariel. Our next question comes from David Barton of Bank of America. Please go ahead. Hey guys, thanks so much for taking the question. First, congrats uh, again, uh, Tony, on the on the permanent CEO position, and to the rest of the team you're bringing in. Um, I guess two questions, if I could. Um, the first one is um, uh, on the philosophy that the new team has on asset monetization. Um, you know, we've been talking about it for a lot of years. Uh, as we kind of come closer to the Shaw transaction and the leverage that that entails. Um, I'm wondering if you could kind of revisit what the way you think about the Jays, Kojiko, the Tower portfolio, and, and what they might represent as ways to kind of accelerate deleveraging. Um, and then the second one is, it's kind of an esoteric question, but I was intrigued by your uh, example about the Kirkland Lake Gold deal. Um, kind of, I wanted to dig into that a little bit. How much capital, you know, goes into a build like that? What are the applications that this company 
needs 5G4 as opposed to 5G, or sorry, as opposed to 4G, and then how are you actually making money uh, to make a return on that investment? Thanks. Dave, thanks. Thank you for uh, the comment and the questions. Um, a couple of things, and just uh, going through each of them. I'll start with uh, again at the bottom with respect to uh, 5G, um, and I'll say that is a classic example of the solutions that 5G is going to enable. I'm going to have George speak to uh, some of the use cases um, that you asked about, but let me say in terms of the economics. We're not going to disclose the economics of this particular instance, but what I can tell you, it is accretive um, to our revenue, accretive to our earnings, uh, and accretive on a net present value basis. And so um, it's a really good example of what I would call a joint partnership uh, between us and uh, Kirkland. So um, that's probably all I can say about the economics, but why don't I um, let George talk about the, uh, the use case. Hey Dave, good morning. Um, great question. The, uh, the the reason, first of all, for 5G, as um, I, I've said a number of times in the past, uh, of course, uh, 5G brings a number of uh, new new capabilities above and beyond uh, just speed or capacity. Uh, we started this uh, agreement with Kirkland as a co-creation uh, project, and the virtual private network is really what I would consider a foundational service um, where we're building a network uh, that has uh, these new capabilities for the future. So really what uh, we're looking at is uh, starting uh, with a network. It's a private net network that provides uh, the level of uh, security and, um, uh, and private connectivity that, uh, that the mine, in this case, uh, demands. But uh, this can be equally applied for uh, any other of our uh, B2B customers. Uh, this now sets the scene for uh, leveraging some of the other capabilities around uh, edge compute, around the ability to deploy uh, applications uh, with uh, low latency, really for the mind to build the next generation services of uh, what we'd call smart or digital mining. And here, think everything about um, autonomous mining vehicles, um, maintenance, uh, automation, and anything else, really, that uh, they, they think about improving their operations. And so this is really a co-creation partnership with the network as a foundational service that then gets used uh, for uh, future developments uh, of 5G. And this is really how we see the development of uh, 5G. We've talked about 5G in the past as uh, you know, a, a new technology uh, with brand new uh, features. Uh, and so this is a great example of how we would use this foundational work to then build other, uh, other applications on. Thank you, George. And then your first question, Dave, relating to asset monetization and some of our other uh, assets. Let me start. It's a really good question in terms of how we think about asset monetization in each of our businesses. And it may have not been the core of your question, but it's worth sharing. As uh, we've looked to... Um, uh, reorganize our businesses, each of our businesses, wireless, cable, and media. And it's important to note that post-Shaw, um, as you all know, um, cable is going to be a significant portion of our total valuation. And so we've gone through a process, uh, as you look to the leaders of each of those businesses, accountability is what I would call full, not only end-to-end P&L, 
in terms of accountability and scope of responsibility, um, but it also includes everything down to full cash flow and return on invested capital, uh, including working capital in each of those businesses. So our accountability and performance framework is shifting to um, that full accountability to deliver on those metrics. And so we have a much more comprehensive view of what we want invested, uh, our return on investment to look like, including the capital investments that we talked about. Um, you know, Kirkland was a good example on 5G and everything we look at, uh, we're looking for returns in the near term as well as the long term. Um, but in cable, as we put more money into expansion, including fixed wireless access, what you should expect to see there is growth in the number of homes passed relative to uh, previous levels and expect us to get a proper share of that uh, growth in homes passed. And so, you know, cable growth going forward is really going to come from two things, not only uh, ARPA growth from consumers and businesses buying more services from us, but additionally from uh, having higher volumes through a higher footprint, and as I said, our fair share in that. In terms of uh, the other assets we have, I'll go through each of them. I mean, in terms of the J's, we've always talked about you know the ability to surface value, but to be clear, um, the right strategy for that uh, for us right now isn't a sale of that asset, and so we don't have an intent to sell that asset uh, currently. Um, and in terms of the other assets, Kojiko and real estate um, would be um, significant amounts, especially as we come together with Shaw. Uh, we know we will have excess real estate. And so what we're working through is what's the best uh, approach to A, monetize it in terms of financing, uh, but also B, uh, in terms of potential sales, et cetera. But that's a longer term uh, type of synergy savings. And when I say longer term, it'll probably take a period of a few years uh, not a few months to to monetize uh, real estate. And so um, hope that helps in terms of uh, how we're thinking about asset monetization. Thanks so much, Tony. Congrats again. Thank you. Thanks, Dave. Uh, next question, Ariel. Our next question comes from Jeff Finn of Scotiabank. Please go ahead. Thanks. Good morning, everyone. Um, just on the uh, Shaw transaction, um, you know, Drew brought up inflation, and one of the things about uh, what's going on in the market today is rising rates. Wondering if you can just give us a bit of an update on the financing plans uh, related to Shaw, um, maybe related to timing and nature to the extent that you can share. Um, and then a follow-up on, on the results. Um, it's great to see the phone disclosure again this quarter and what you guys are saying about uh, future disclosure. Uh, wondering if uh, if you can share uh, phone churn rates um, as opposed to the just the postpaid, and if there's any directional um, uh, looking back at Q4 compared to prior periods, um, if you can share that, that would be great. Thanks. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up zero to one grams of net carbs, five to eleven grams of protein and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.
Okay, Jeff, I'll um, take a stab at those. Um, with regards to the phones, maybe I'll answer that one first. Um, we're not um, prepared to uh, disclose churn today, so we will be restating all our numbers, and uh, so look forward to that for next quarter. Um, and um, we'll, we'll get everything in line there, and so we can talk some more about that. Um, in terms of just the Shaw deal, um, we have sufficient um, committed financing in place to close our acquisition of Shaw um, between the $6 billion of committed bank term facilities um, that we have and also the uh, $13 billion committed bank credit facility um, that we have entered into. We, we anticipate that we may issue some senior and or subordinated notes. Um, you saw that in the quarter we already did um, some supported notes to, to, uh, to uh, fund our uh, spectrum. Um, so we might do some more in 2022, and um, that will replace um, some or all of the committed bank credit facilities uh, prior to the bank, um, prior to the Shaw closing. We're going to be very opportunistic um, and just monitor the market in the short term with regards to the interest rates. Um, we have entered into $7 billion of interest rate swaps to hedge um, some portion of the interest rate risk that we do have. Um, so more to come on that. Um, you know, we're looking to have varied durations of bank debt um, to, you know, and uh, look at some shorter term, longer term, five to 30 years. So we'll have a varied uh, portfolio. So we've got a, a plan. We can't really tell, talk to you too much about the plans right now, um, given that we're still in discussions with the regulators. Great. Can, on, the, on the interest rate swab, when was that entered? Was that in Q1 or was that before that? Um, we entered into them uh, late uh, last year. Okay. Great. Thank you. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, next question, Ariel. Our next question comes from Aravinda Galaparige of Canaccord Genuity. Please go ahead. Good morning. Thanks for uh, taking my questions. Uh, uh, two from me. Um, firstly, on the uh, the wireless front, you know, even through some of the uh, service revenue headwinds, I know that uh, EBITDA had uh, sort of performed well, and you see that in the four-year results from 21. Um, can you talk to sort of how you see um, sort of upside to service revenues uh, perhaps in the latter part of the year as sort of roaming recovers even further, or uh, maybe you get some tailwinds on the device subsidy front. I know that there is a little bit of a movement towards BYOD. I don't know how long that lasts, but perhaps there's some relief on the cost front as well. Um, that's question number one. And then secondly, more broadly, uh, perhaps building on sort of your discussion around Kirkland Lake, uh, Tony, can you just talk to sort of your outlook to uh, make progress on the B2B side. Um, I know that's one of the objectives of the Shaw uh, acquisition as well, but uh, what can be achieved within 22 and then what are your sort of plans uh, more broadly? Thank you. Thanks, Arvinda, for the uh, question. Um, again, I'll start with the uh, second part of the question. Uh, in terms of uh, B2B generally with shop, we see this as we've spoken about before as a huge opportunity for us. Uh, you know, being able to have a national offering on both the wireless and now the wireline side uh, is going to be important in terms of um, a number of factors that we can provide, not only pricing-wise, but in terms of SLAs, et cetera, which are important to national customers. And so we're very much looking forward to participating in that space. Um, 
but not only in terms of national customers, uh, but it relates a little bit to the question uh, that was raised earlier as we look to relative performance between us and Shaw in the business space in what we would call the mid to uh, smaller uh, small businesses, uh, we see some best practices that are really going to be synergistic for, uh, for us in terms of revenues. And so we're quite excited about that opportunity. When we speak of the billion dollars of synergies, those are largely on the cost side um, and do not include anything for revenue, just to be clear. So as we um, come together, uh, I think it's fair to say, and, and we want to be a bit cautionary on this and not overcommit, but those revenue synergies on the enterprise side, expect to see them come in uh, predominantly in 2023 and then beyond that, um, just to be realistic. And so, um, as I said, I don't want to overset uh, expectations on that, but clearly uh, a material uh, growth engine for us uh, post-close. Uh, the other question more generally on wireless as we think about uh, the back half of the year. Certainly service uh, service revenue will grow uh, as a result of a few things and so uh, I wouldn't underestimate the impact of what we see as a very healthy market backdrop. Um, we'll see once everyone reports what our um, industry growth rates were in 2021 um, but it's clear we're headed for somewhere between we think three to five percent in terms of industry growth which we think is very healthy and as we look to 2022 we continue to see a pretty healthy growth in volumes on the industry and so as we participate with what we describe as our fair share of that um, we expect to see that as a good driver of service revenue growth roaming revenue uh, is going to help as paulina said um, we're on a good trajectory on that, and it'll come in and out depending on uh, the pandemic and travel restrictions. But as things uh, ease up, we think we have a good trajectory on that. For the full year, as Paulina said, we're looking at almost 80% uh, recovery from where we used to be in roaming uh, revenues um, for 2022. Um, and so there is potential for more upside, although there is some downside risk, but frankly, uh, we see it as more upside uh, on balance. Um, the comparative numbers for 2021 were uh, 50%. So we think we've uh, been fairly prudent in terms of estimating that. And then the more important piece, and that's what we're really driving at, um, are monetizing the increases in use cases in wireless and in particular data usage. It's interesting as soon as we've um, you know come in, in and out of the pandemic, and we've spoken about this before, you see really good growth in usage, and today we'd sit in the 30 to 40 percent year-on-year growth rates in usage on a per-user basis. And clearly, those customers that sit in our unlimited buckets are even higher than that. And so we're seeing good uh, data growth and the use case for moving to higher-tiered plans, and in particular, our unlimited plans, uh, will be more compelling as. Uh, consumers and businesses resume travel and activities outside of the home and in-home Wi-Fi. Um, so those are sort of the big buckets in terms of that. And then us, um, I would say uh, we certainly see cost efficiencies in our business. We think about handsets, though, as a good investment, quite frankly, um, in terms of the customer experience and customer churn. And as we moved as an industry to um, financing devices as opposed to uh, the subsidy program we used to have uh, when we moved to that two and a half years ago, 
what we saw is a good movement in the industry to substantially reduce the amount of subsidy costs that we had as an industry. When you look at Q4, there was a net cost to us um, on the um, on the handset subsidies, uh, somewhere in the range of about $26 million. Um, but that's really the timing of pricing on handsets as well as um, incentives that we get from the OEMs. And so I, I think expect that to go up and down, but we don't see you know, what I would describe as the net equipment cost to us um, as being a significant drag on our ability to grow EBITDA in 2022. Hope that helps, Sarah. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thanks, Arvinda. Uh, next question, Ariel. Our next question comes from Simon Flannery of Morgan Stanley. Please go ahead. Great. Thank you very much. Um, good morning, Tony. I wanted to go back to some of your opening comments about your priorities. Uh, you talked about the accountability. A couple of areas that you really flagged were the go-to-market and the customer experience, the customer service. Could you get a little bit more into that? And I guess you've made um, some senior leadership changes. Just how is that organization? Is that sort of complete now until we finish the, the shore integration? What should we see that there is, is going to drive those changes in, in those areas? Thanks. Okay, thanks, Simon, for uh, the question. Um, in terms of priorities um, around customer experience and go-to-market, um, look, as we think about this business, we, we want to make sure we get two things um, going well, and one of them is continued investment in our networks. Long-term, if we don't have leading networks, um, then we're slowly out of business, quite frankly. And so to state the obvious, we want to make sure we continue to lead in both wireless and cable. Um, and we think we've got the CapEx roadmap and growth plans uh, to ensure that. The second part in the way we think about accountability in each of our cable and wireless businesses is how do we monetize that investment? And so what we do want to see is more uh, participation in the growth in um, our home cable business, quite frankly. As we look to Q4 results, as I said, and I'm, I'm being transparent and blunt, uh, we're really not happy with uh, the performance of subscriber additions in the fourth quarter, uh, and we think we can do better given our product superiority in terms of Internet speeds across our entire footprint. Uh, as we said before, we can offer one gigabit of speeds across the entire footprint, uh, which our competitor can't in the footprint we have today. Um, and additionally, as we um, have installed fixed wireless access um, across our entire uh, wireless footprint, um, the opportunity there is significant as well. And so we see those coming on in Q1, and um, as early as Q1, you'll start to see uh, the execution around our sales program um, delivering tangible results in our share of net ads in that space predominantly in internet, but certainly from a whole home perspective. Um, and as we expand our disclosure in Q1 around that, uh, in terms of the products around um, uh, the cable business, then you'll start to, uh, to see that come through. In terms of customer experience, um, clearly, you know, the overall metric we look at are churn rates um, in each of wireless, but uh, by product in, in our cable business as well. And so, we're focused on putting the money that is going to improve the um, experiences for customers 
and materially reduce the reason for leaving Rogers if they so choose, um, that it's not uh, a customer experience issue. That's the focus and that's how we think about accountability. And in our capital priority program, uh, we're really focused on is this going to make a material difference for the customer? Um, and if so, then let's invest in that and get to it very quickly. Uh, that's how we think about uh, priorities and the allocation of capital um, to those priorities. And then second, on the brands, given the merger, you know, the, how are you thinking about the broader brand? Absolutely. Um, and I would say the brand is uh, something we think about um, as an outcome of the fundamentals uh, in customer experience in both consumer and businesses uh, that we execute. And so you can expect to see uh, the evolution of the Rogers brand uh, in the marketplace uh, over a period of time. And as we integrate with Shaw, we want to be very clear with consumers um, not only about the brand, uh, and we're thinking about it across the nation, but very clearly articulate what the value proposition is for each of our brands, whether it be uh, Rogers, Shaw, uh, Fido, et cetera. So expect simplicity and expect the timing to be at, uh, at the appropriate time. It may not be on what we call close or day one. Day one in terms of the brand will be, uh, will be an evolution uh, as opposed to one day. And you'll see that uh, play out. In terms of management changes, uh, I'm thrilled with uh, the progress we've made uh, in a short period of time uh, in new leadership in each of our, uh, what we call home and business now, our wireless uh, and our media. And I think what you're really getting at is, you know, should you have any concerns about our ability to execute as we continue to make progressive changes leading up to Shaw and frankly post-Shaw, and the answer to that is I'm very confident that we have the talent and depth of talent across our business to execute um, as we make progressive changes. And I think you can expect that in any organization, but certainly um, as we look to improve our performance and, and execution in the near term and longer term, uh, we'll continue to, to do what's right. Uh, but clearly, um, we're confident we have what we need to, to ensure that that continues. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Simon. Thanks, Simon. Uh, next question, Ariel. Our next question comes from Tim Casey of BMO. Please go ahead. Thanks. Good morning. Uh, two for me. Um, Tony, can you talk a little bit more about the fixed wireless initiative? Just as a point of a clarification, where will you report those metrics? Will, will those be in wireless or cable? And I guess more broadly, how will you define success? Are, are you able to share any targets with us? Or, or you know, what, what is the ultimate scope of that initiative? And my second question is, is a more uh, strategic one. I'm wondering if you can comment on how your conversations are evolving with the hyperscalers. You know, AWS has made some interesting announcements of uh, what they want to do in wireless, and and certainly, you know, these super capitalized um, companies and and cloud players are are obviously going to be a major factor in in the 5G ecosystem. I, I'm just wondering how your how those relationships are developing. Thanks. 
Okay, thanks for the question, Tim. In order then, we'll start, I'll have Paulina start with the fixed wireless uh, disclosure. Um, within our uh, retail broadband internet numbers, like so for this quarter, the 21,000 that we have, um, within there we will have our fixed wireless uh, additions. And uh, last quarter you'll recall that we talked about a 1,000 number. Um, this quarter, we, about one-third of those additions would be our fixed wireless. So you can see a really good ramp up there, and uh, we'll continue with that. And Tim, in terms of um, you know this, how we think about uh, the market for fixed wireless access, as I said, we've enabled our entire national wireless network um, to um, uh, to enable that type of service for consumers and businesses. Um, today, we're focused within uh, what we would call the fringes or rural areas of our cable network in where we operate today. So largely Ontario and the East, as we come together with Shaw, we'll look to expanding that um, uh, surrounding their area. It is largely a rural uh, play for us in, in how we think about it. Our, you know, clearly our first go-to-market is if we have uh, fiber or coax uh, going to the area, um, that is clearly first prize in terms of serving that customer or business. And so we think about fixed wireless access as an immediate opportunity um, to be able to provide that service, um, largely in places where they have no service uh, or they have service that um, are much lower speeds. And fixed wireless access generally uh, will provide up to uh, 50 megabits of download speed. And so it's quite a robust service that we'll be offering and uh, can and will include uh, video offerings in that as well. And then the last part of your question relates to hyperscalers, and uh, I'll ask George to uh, provide a few comments on that. Uh, good morning, Tim. Um, uh, first thing is uh, we, we maintain uh, a, and we have ma always maintained a multi-cloud uh, strategy, which allows us to uh, have a, a, a very good relationship with all the uh, hyperscalers, the, the three main ones out there uh, in particular, uh, in terms of... Uh, Understanding the strategy and staying very close to uh, the services that we are uh, working with, uh, uh, whether it's 5G or, uh, or, or just the cloud or the extension of uh, edge compute. Um, obviously, we've been following very closely the work that they're doing uh, in terms of uh, looking at providing a, uh, a core, a network, a mobile core as a service. Uh, we see this as uh, a, an opportunity for partnership, to, to be honest. Uh, obviously, there are aspects that we, uh, you know, are good at, and th this is our core business in terms of spectrum, owning the spectrum, uh, but then also very importantly, building and maintaining the physical infrastructure required to uh, to, to 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 keep these networks running. Uh, you know, the Kirkland Lake mine is a, is, is such an example, uh, and also, you know, we we have seen a history of, uh, you know, where some of the hyperscalers have attempted to build physical infrastructure where, frankly, uh, you know, they've realized the difficulties and uh, the requirements, the ongoing requirements to, uh, to, to keep up this infrastructure, which is essentially, again, uh, our core business. So uh, we, we see this as uh, an opportunity for, for partnership. Uh, we're working very closely with them uh, in terms of uh, future opportunities. And uh, as and when it makes sense uh, to, to build a product together, we will do so. Thank you.
Thanks, Tim. Ariel, we have time for two more questions. Certainly. Our next question comes from David McPadgen of Cormark Securities. Please go ahead. Oh, thank you. Yeah, a couple of questions. Um, first of all, just uh, congratulations, Tony, on being appointed president and CEO. Um, <clears throat> just on the CapEx, I was wondering, you know, when I look at your uh, CapEx for 2021, cable was down 3%. I was wondering if you could give us an idea on the outlook for CapEx for 2022 based on the various segments. And when we look at Bell's growth in the internet sub, uh, it was pretty strong last quarter. I was just wondering, do you see that you should really step up and run more fiber to the curb just to respond to that, just protect your business, grow it? And then secondly, I don't know if you can comment on this, but I was wondering if you could give us an idea on the quality of Shaw's wireline network versus yours. Thanks. Thanks, David, um, for the comment and the, uh, the questions. Um, Paulino will walk you through a bit of the relative capex on cable or amongst the, the business units, um, cable and wireless uh, 2021 versus 2022. Um, but let me speak to uh, some of the other questions you asked. Um, let me be clear, as we look to our internet um, uh, sales, uh, it's important that when you speak of our competitors' numbers, uh, included in there is, is fixed wireless access. And so, as I mentioned, uh, as we launched that capability in fourth quarter, you can expect to see us ramp up with that as well. And so, that is certainly going to be uh, what we think is a material uh, part of our growth plans uh, on the sales side. When it comes to um, where we have our cable footprint um, and our combination of pure fiber as well as coax uh, network, uh, we have a superior product and we're very confident um, in that value proposition for consumers. And as we go head to head with our competitor across our entire footprint, we're confident about our ability to get not only our fair share, but frankly, more than our fair share on that side of it. So I think, um, um, you know, there's work to do in terms of, as I said, sales execution, and, and we will uh, do better uh, in that. But it's important um, that you think about the fundamentals that way. Uh, and then on the last part of it in terms of uh, the Shaw Network, uh, again, I'll have uh, George provide some depth color on that. Um, Thanks for that question, David. Good morning. Um, obviously, I don't want to talk too much about uh, the work that we, we've been doing. Uh, naturally, there's a, uh, and there was, in fact, already a strong cooperation amongst the cable operators uh, through uh, the work we do at uh, Cable Labs. Uh, the Shaw uh, organization has a very talented team uh, in, in this space, and as a result, that talented team has uh, you know, built and maintained a, a very good quality network. Uh, and so uh, we're working very closely together with our teams. Uh, we're talking about, um, you know, the possibilities of the future, again, in line with uh, what we're allowed to discuss from, uh, uh, you know, from, from uh, obviously the, the legal standpoint. But uh, we're, we're, very, we're very confident that we, we have a very aligned strategy uh, going forward on, our, on how our networks will, uh, will develop and uh, grow uh, going forward. Okay, thank you. And Dave, just to address the um, capital question, um, so you see that our CI ratio overall is going up from 19% to 20% overall, 
And, um, you know, the cable CI we expect will also increase. Um, I mean, we have uh, increases both in wireless and cable, given what Tony said in terms of just spending more of the envelope on networks. So you'll see um, more spending on networks. But uh, specifically with the uplifts we're doing in cable and the service expansion, um, you'll see the CI ratio increasing. Um, we're thinking that uh, the range could be in the, you know, 20, 24, 26 range, um, and uh, we'll, we'll um, monitor that as we go here, but uh, we, we do expect that it will be increasing. Okay, so increasing in both cable and wireless, like I'm just wondering how much it would increase in cable on a percentage basis. I don't know if you can give us that detail, but it'd be uh, interesting to know. Yeah, just um, remember that once we do um, come together with Shaw that we will be updating. So the, the number will be only relevant for the first part of the year. Um, and uh, we'll be updating the guidance and uh, the capital spend uh, once we do come together with Shaw. Okay, thanks so much. Great. Thanks, uh, Dave. Uh, last question, Ariel. Our final question comes from Jerome Debrule of Desjardins. Please go ahead. Hey, good morning. Thanks for squeezing me in. Um, first on uh, DOCSIS 4.0, it's uh, one of the first times I, I hear you talk about this publicly. Uh, and I'm wondering what's the marginal intensity uh, of the investment that's required to meet the standard, and maybe also over how many years. Uh, and then, uh, what what would be the benefits uh, you would expect from uh, from the standard uh, probably in terms of OPEX? And then following uh, the next one is on the Blue Jays. Uh, you already commented on that, uh, that you were expecting uh, good attendance uh, that's baked in in your guidance. But I'm wondering if this assumes uh, that you're allowed uh, to have a full capacity from, from the government and that the only unknown variable will be uh, how fans show up to the stadium. Thank you. Thank you, Jerome. Um, good questions. I'll, I'll ask George to talk about the DOCSIS 4.0 uh, roadmap um, to address that, and then Pauline will talk about the assumptions we've made with respect to uh, Jays uh, this year. Uh, good morning, Jerome. Um, so uh, DOCSIS 4, uh, we really see it as a, an evolution and a continuation uh, of the work that we have been doing. So when we talk about uh, the intensity on CAPEX, uh, don't forget that we started our network, our HFC modernization, uh, three years ago. And so the work that we've been doing in terms of taking fiber deeper in the plant uh, and uh, replacing some of the uh, active equipment uh, is already in preparation for, for DOCSIS 4. Uh, and so uh, that, uh, that activity and that work uh, has helped not only uh, you know, significantly improve uh, the customer quality and experience, uh, but also setting up our network for for, for, for DOCSIS 4 when it's uh, when it's ready. Uh, again, we're working uh, as an industry. Uh, you, you would have seen uh, some announcements uh, from Comcast and Charter in terms of the the speeds that uh, DOCSIS 4 will provide. Uh, and so we're working with our equipment vendors and the chipset manufacturers to develop the technology, and expect within the next uh, uh, the next 12 months uh, to have uh, certainly the first. Um, uh, equipment uh, available for for testing and certifying on on our network, uh, and then from there on uh, the usual roadmap of uh, equipment availability uh, and rollout. Uh, the benefits uh, are obvious as we modernize the network, as we take 
uh, you know, fiber deeper as we modernize some of the active equipment, um, you know, amplifiers and so on. Obviously, this reduces the number of truck rolls uh, required. This reduces uh, the, the, the number of incidents, and as a result, a, a significant benefit uh, on OPEX. Uh, of course, with the uh, increased fiber deployment uh, and, and getting the fiber closer to the customer, it means also less of an active plant and more passive. Uh, and again, uh, that reduces uh, the, the OPEX uh, quite significantly. And Jerome, in answer to your question in terms of, you know, what are the OPEX savings, I think as George said, think about this in terms of um, uh, expanding and extending uh, the robustness of a coax fiber network um, that is much more efficient than um, having to put fiber all the way to the premise in every instance. And so it allows us to be uh, at a minimum competitive, if not leading, uh, in terms of Internet speeds and reliability um, at a fraction of the cost of uh, having to dig up, et cetera. And so I think that's where you really see the economics of the evolution of DOCSIS uh, playing out. On an OPEX basis, sure, on a per megabit uh, unit cost, it'll continue to come down. But as demand in the marketplace goes up, um, the real value proposition is offering more speeds, download and upload, uh, frankly, um, at um, you know moderately um, uh, increasing prices, if that. Um, so that's the way we think about the, the economics. Um, Jerome, in terms of the uh, Blue Jays and the attendance, um, we assumed that there would be return of in-person attendance at the Rogers Center and that by spring that uh, the impacts that we're seeing uh, with COVID would uh, be relieved a bit and that the uh, full capacity would be allowed. Okay, great. Thank Thanks you. for the question. Great. Thanks, Jerome. Uh, thanks, everyone, for attending. And uh, if you have any questions, please feel free to follow up as well. Thank you. This concludes today's conference call. You may disconnect your lines. Thank you for participating, and have a pleasant day. When everyone is on the same page, getting things done is easy. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that enables your team to make their point and move faster. You can even save time by going from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds. Join the 96% of Grammarly users that say it helps them craft more impactful writing. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com podcast. That's Grammarly.com podcast. Easier said. Done. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.